If you'd like to take your Bibles and turn to Proverbs chapter 26, follow along with me, that'd be awesome. While you're turning there, uh, if you'd give me just a second, if you're watching online, welcome. We're so glad that you're here. And Again, we have, um, we've, I never thought I'd be a TV preacher, but I am now. Uh, we actually have more people watching online than we do present uh, in our services these days. And we have people really all over the world. We're getting prayer requests from Australia, from Africa, from faraway countries like Washington State and Pennsylvania. And so welcome. We're so glad wherever you are watching. I pray that God and his, his spirit would be present with you today and that uh, his anointing would be upon you as we open the word of God. And just for a second, we also want, um, because we are a home church, we want to send our love to Cindy James um, and the loss of Phil this weekend. Uh, Phil was a vital part, brother, um, integral part here at Fullness, and uh, we're going to miss him greatly. And Cindy, our prayers are with you and uh, your children and your family, and um, we're just so grateful that the final fear of death has been overcome by the blood of Jesus and the resurrection of Christ. Amen? So we have no doubt where Phil is today and that he's healthy and he's whole and praising God more than we can imagine. But our hearts are still sorrowful. And there will be a memorial service for Phil this Saturday at 11. It is for family only uh, here at Fullness, but it will be streamed live. Um, so there'll be a live stream. You can watch it fullness.life or on YouTube or Facebook or all our usual platforms. So um, just be in prayer uh, for the family. Uh, you know, it's one of Phil's last things I was talking to Cindy. I hope she didn't mind me sharing this. Was He, was, um, he didn't want when his funeral would come that people would gather and get sick. You know, like it happened at funerals and weddings all over the country. So he, he wanted it family only, and we're going to honor his request. So, But you can join online at 11 o'clock on uh, Saturday morning. I'm starting this new series. Um, we're doing prayer and fasting, which we do every single year. We start uh, the year with 21 days of prayer and fasting. And <clears throat> there is this mindset with people that they're like, fasting, it, it just sounds so Old Testament, this whole fasting thing. Do we still fast? Um, do we still give up food or whatever we may give up? And what is the reason for that? It just seems like, you know, denying yourself kind of doesn't seem life-giving. But I would contend just the opposite, that it is very life-giving. And there's a reason we do it. I want to introduce that, and then I want to talk about uh, us overcoming fear and how we can, this whole series for the next really two months is going to be on overcoming fear, and I'll share with you why we're going to do that in just a minute. It says in God's word, Paul says to the Corinthians, thanks be to God for what? His indescribable gift. That means a gift you can't describe. <laughs> I know, I'm really smart. Uh, a gift you can't describe. In, in that Jesus is so incredible that there's words just at some point fall short. And we know that God loves us because he gave his indescribable gift, his son. 
his most valuable possession on our behalf. And we want to live a life that reflects the glory of God. And because God was a giving God, he gave his son. We want to be a reflection of him, which means we are a giving people. What do we have to give away? What do we have to give away? There are a number of items you could probably list on about what we have to give away, but I, I, I contend we have one thing really to give away, and that's the good news of Jesus Christ. That's why we're here. That's why we're his ambassadors. That's why we're reflecting his glory. We, we may give away knowledge. We may give away resources. We may serve, but all we do, we do in the name of Christ. Give a cup of water in Jesus' name. Why? Because that's really who we are. We want to give away him to the world. The problem is the world is not a giving world. The world is a taking world. And if we're not careful, we pick up the mindset of the world. We pick up the, the way the world thinks, the way the world feels. Um, I don't know if you did, but I, I watched football this past week, probably more than I should have, but I watched a lot of football. And um, in between game parts, they show commercials, these things, and every single, I was just doing, I was watching the Alabama game the other day, and it seemed like every single commercial was trying to convince me about something I needed to make my life complete, whether it be a car, an alcoholic beverage, uh, a a food group, uh, an item of clothing, whatever it was, there was something that if I just had this, I would be complete. And as a result, we get this mindset, give me, give me, give me. I just need this. And I want to shift us. And let me just say this too, as I head into this, I believe what that, the fruit of that will be fear. You may say, well, how how is that fear? Well, because if I don't get that, then I'm incomplete. And now I'm going to be afraid of how I look to the world because I don't drive this certain car, I don't wear this certain item of clothing, or I don't drink this certain beverage, or I don't live in this certain house, or I don't have a Quicken loan, or I don't have this or that or whatever it might be. As a result, I feel, oh, I'm missing something, and I'm afraid of missing something because the fear of missing out is just huge on us. It just, it feeds our fears. It feeds our greed. It feeds our desires. And that's what prayer and fasting does for us is it, it actively seeks God. It goes after him, prayer does. And fasting at the same time denies our body what it craves in order to awaken our spirit man and to hear from God. So it's an active thing and it's a denial thing. Actively seeking after God and denying my body. So it says in uh, 1 Thessalonians 5.23, Paul prays this. I pray that your entire spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless until the coming of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And I, I believe Paul gives us kind of a picture of us, that we have a spirit man that is darkened until we come to know Jesus, and then the Spirit of God comes and lives in us. The Spirit enlivens us, and now we're spiritual creatures. We, are, we have the presence of the living God inside of us. Our spirit man, which was dead, is now alive. 
and we're spiritual beings. But we also have a soul, which is made up of really our mind, our will, and our emotions, the way we think, the way we feel, our desires. And we have this carton, this physical carton that we live in, our bodies. And we spend the majority of our time feeding our souls and our bodies, our mind, our will, and our emotions. And eventually our mind, our will, and our emotions, our souls, and our bodies get to the point that they feel like they are in control. I'm a, I, I, I want to see this. I want to read this. I want to hear this. I want to be entertained. I, I want this food. Feed me, feed me, feed me. And if we're not careful, we become driven by our souls and our bodies. Does that make sense? What fasting does, it says to our soul and our body, you are not in charge. The spirit of God that dwells within me is in charge. So for a period of time, I'm going to deny something to my body in order to reorient me, to get spiritually lined up so that I can hear from God. I want the presence and power of the spirit of God in me controlling my soul, my mind, will, and emotions, and controlling my body. I don't want my body and my soul to try and control my spirit. We need to work from the inside out. There's a, a, a passage in, um, it's really in Mark and Luke and Matthew, where Jesus has been on the Mount of Transfiguration. He's met with God. I mean, he, the Father. And Anyway, it's been... A mountaintop experience. I don't want to dwell on it. But he comes down and his disciples, the ones that weren't with him, they're trying to cast a demon out of a little boy whose father has brought him to them. And they can't. The boy is just out of control. You've got the disciples who can't cast the demon out of the boy. You've got the religious leaders who are looking for a reason to blame Jesus. You've got the crowd. You've got the boy. You've got the dad. Nobody in this group. It's an unbelieving group certain levels of unbelief and skepticism, but ultimately, they can't do it. Jesus comes down. What do you want me to do? Heal my boy. Jesus says, do you believe? The father says, I believe. What? Hell, my unbelief. And Jesus says, cast the demon out of the boy. Heals him. And the thing that Jesus says to the crowd and to his disciples is this. He says, you unbelieving and perverse generation. He's addressing really everybody. You're like, well, he's not addressing his disciples. He, he is in a sense. What he's saying, I think, and we, we take perverse in a real, uh, such a negative direction. What, what he's saying is, you don't have enough belief you're unbelieving. You're lacking in belief. You need more belief. And by perversity, saying you're too connected to the world. You're too connected to the thinking of the world. Your, your, your way of thinking goes this way. And I think that's what fasting, and he goes on and even says to them later, this kind can only come out by prayer and fasting. Actively seeking, believing, fasting, denying, disconnecting from the world so that we can hear from God. That's what this time of prayer and fasting is about. And I want to encourage you in these days ahead to seek God about what you should fast from. What should I give up? And some of you who haven't been a part of fullness before, you may not know, we, we believe in fasting. You, it's whatever God gives you to fast. 
It may be food. Most people can't fast for 21 days. I understand that. But it may be a kind of Daniel fast, like you give up. It's a specific kind of fast. You give up, um, give up sweets or give up a certain kind of food for a period of time. Uh, maybe you give up entertainment. Maybe you give up searching the Internet. Maybe you give up news. Maybe you give up TikTok. Give younger generation some of the older TikTok. What's that? I don't need no, look, no clock. Um, anyway, it, it may be anything that God gives you to disconnect from the world so that, why? You can hear from him. This is not just giving up something just for the heck of it. This is, this is disconnecting from the world so that we can reconnect with him. We need prayer, that active engagement with God. We need our belief level to rise above every other level in our life. And we need to disconnect from the world, really, in order to hear from him. Fasting and prayer. So we're going to be here every morning, Monday through Friday at 6 a.m., to pray. We're going to pray for your prayer requests. I would encourage you to come. You know, get up at 5 a.m. God's awake at 5. You can be awake at 5. <laughs> come and join us here at 6 o'clock. Or if you can't drive in, join us online. We've got a prayer um, guide that we want you to participate in. Everybody joining together to pray toward the same ends. So, Monday through Friday, 6 a.m. here, and on Saturday at 9 a.m. We let you sleep in a little later on Saturday. So, uh, love to have you. Please join us. One of the things that fasting and prayer does for us, and I preach this sermon, by the way, the first Sunday of every year, for those of you who are new to fullness, uh, this is one of the few sermons I've ever repeated, uh, and I do it every year, because we need to disconnect from the world. We need to engage with God. It, it, it becomes so easy, doesn't it, to pick up the dirt of the world without even knowing it. The next thing you know, you're, you're dirty. I remember my boys were little... They go come in and they go out and play and they come in and they'd smell. You know, something about boys playing outside, they smell when they come in. And we say, Yeah, it's time for a bath. I'm not dirty. Oh, yes, you are. You are. You may not know it, but yes, you are. Sometimes we don't even know what we I hate to say what smell like, but we don't know the dirt of the world we pick up. And one of the things that we need to do consistently is to wake up to what God is doing around us. Because it's easy to fall into this hole and not even know we're in this hole. So I want to talk this morning about waking up spiritually, becoming alive. And I think that's one of the things that fasting, it's like an alarm clock that goes off in our life to say, it, I don't know about you, but... When I go into a time of fasting, most of the time I go and say, I'm going to seek after God. I'm going to hear from God. He's going to talk to me. He's going to, heavens are going to open and the glory of God is going to be poured out on me. Do you know what happens most of the time? I just, the junk of my life comes to the surface. And for this whole period of time, I'm just, there's something else. There's a, I didn't even know that was there. I didn't even know that was in my heart. I didn't even know that was in. Most of the time what fasting does for me is it wakes me up to the junk that I picked up into my life. And so I want to talk about waking up. And 
To understand this, there are three characteristics of sleep that R.T. Kendall gives us. He says, you don't know that you're asleep until you wake up. You know, most of the time, when you wake up, you're like, oh, I was asleep. But when you're asleep, you don't know you're asleep. It's the same way spiritually. If you're asleep spiritually, a lot of times we don't even know we're speech, uh, asleep spiritually. And we don't know it until we wake up. And when you are asleep, you dream about doing things that you would not otherwise do if you were awake. Yeah, I know. I, you know, I've heard dreams. I've had dreams. So have you. Of things you're like, whoa, where did that come from? And we all hate the sound of the alarm. We hate it. Most of the time in the morning, when that, my alarm goes off at 5 a.m. tomorrow morning to get up and come to prayer, I am not going to enjoy that sound. My temptation is going to be to reach over and to hit that sloth button. You know, that snooze button you have on it? Now I have Alexa, and I just tell Alexa to shut up. Or I say, Alexa, give me 10 more minutes or 15 more minutes or whatever the case may be. We hate the sound of the alarm. What fasting and prayer is going to do for us is give us an alarm to help us to wake up and to see where we need to, to move forward. Paul says in Romans, and do this, understanding the present time. The hour has come for you to wake up from your slumber because our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. I, I quote this verse every year, but I, 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 I mean... I, Every year, I believe it's more and more true. It is time for the church of Jesus Christ to wake up, Amen. to rise from our slumber, to understand what our purpose and our plan is. And I'm not going to get off on this today, but again, I'm going to go back to what I said before, which I believe our purpose as a church, as the people of God, is nothing less than proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. To get caught up into a side thing is less. It may seem like more, but it's not more. It's always less. We're to be a people who proclaims the gospel because the day of God's coming is nearer now than it was yesterday. So, from the book of Proverbs, let's look at a couple of things about the, the sluggard, the one who's asleep, and the things we want to avoid in, other, in order to move forward. The first is this. We need to wake up. Because there's a call for diligence. It says in Proverbs, and all of these um, things about the sluggard are taken from four verses in Proverbs 26, really 13, 14, 15, and 16. As a door turns on its hinges, so a sluggard turns on his bed. Isn't that very graphic? You know, like the door is just, where's it going? It's going nowhere. And that's what the slugger does in his bed. He just turns on his bed. He goes nowhere. He doesn't get up. In other words, there's this idea that he has ceased to be diligent. I don't really care what the day goes, brings. I'm just going to stay right here. We need to be a diligent people. It uh, says in Hebrews 6.11, we want each of you to show the same diligence, that's talking about us, to the very end, in order to make your hope sure. We do not want you to become lazy, but to imitate those who through faith and patience inherit, inherit what has been promised. See, sometimes we read this and say, okay, well, he wants to stay diligent because we don't want to become these things. 
Well, the author of Hebrews is saying this, I want you to stay diligent, not because I don't want you to become these things, but because your nature is going to draw you to becoming these things. You, you, you don't even know that, that your tendency is going to, he's saying, I don't want you to imitate these. I don't want you to become like this. Why is he telling me not to become like this? Because my nature wants me to come, become like that. If I just feed my soul and my body all the time and do nothing, I, I'm going to become lazy. I'm not going to want to do stuff. I'm just going to want to stay. I'm going to seek to be, I'm going to stop to be being spiritually diligent. And we need that diligence. A couple of years ago, Robin Shannon and I and Kathy, we went to uh, Israel. This is the Garden of Gethsemane. Um, and... So there's like an olive tree behind me that um, you can kind of see. And it's thousands of years old. It was in the garden when Jesus was in the garden, uh, which is hard to believe. There are trees that old that are in the Garden of Gethsemane. It's pretty well propped up. It's got a fence around it. You can't even get close to it anymore, but it's in the, the garden. This is right next to the Church of All Nations, which is just overlooks the city of Jerusalem. And there's a rock right outside this, the church where they contend that this is the rock that Jesus prayed leaning against when on the night before he was betrayed, on the night before his crucifixion. And you remember Jesus takes uh, three of his disciples, he goes up into the garden, he goes to pray and he says, hey, stay, stay awake, stay alert, pray with me for one hour. He goes off and prays and he comes back. And he says to his disciples, who he found sleeping, Simon, he said to Peter, are you asleep? Could you not keep watch for one hour? Seems kind of tough on Simon, doesn't he? I mean, it's late at night. They've had a long day. They've had a long couple of days. You know, it's, it's easy to... It's easy to fall asleep at 6 a.m. prayer. You think I'm kidding? I, would, I used to go to prayer with my dad. He'd fall asleep. Not to say he couldn't stay diligent, but if he just paused, my dad would fall asleep. One day, I remember I was in college. He drug me out to a 6 a.m. prayer meeting. I was home from college. He said, we're going to prayer. Okay, Dad, I'll go. I don't want to go, but I'll go. Go to prayer. I'm trying to stay engaged in this prayer. And I go by my dad, and I hear this. He's asleep on the stage. <laughs> My dad was great. I'm not trying to badmouth my dad, but it's easy to fall asleep at prayer. So we want you to come tomorrow ready to be engaged. We try to keep you uh, moving so you don't have a tendency to fall asleep. But it seems kind of hard on Peter, doesn't it? He fell asleep late at night and other disciples that are with him. Let me just say this. There's this aspect where Jesus is saying, could you not stay diligent for one hour? Could you not stay with me? Could you not stay alert with me for one hour? Now, Jesus knows the importance of what's coming up. The disciples, they probably don't have, they really don't understand yet. They don't have a clue. They just think it's another prayer meeting with Jesus, which, by the way, would be pretty good. But... They don't have the same, the cross is just staring them in the face. They don't understand everything that's going on. They won't understand it till a, after the cross and after the resurrection. But 
Jesus is facing the most important thing of his life, the cross, which he's been born to go to. He's asking his disciples to stay diligent with him, and they couldn't. And by the way, Jesus, this may be a stretch a little bit, but Dave and I were talking about this running yesterday. Jesus, he faces his fear and overcomes. Simon, who falls asleep, faces his fear and falters. I believe that there is a place for prayer, not just a place. There is the critical nature of prayer if we're going to overcome our fears. If our faith factor is going to rise above our fear factor, then we need prayer. And we give way too little time to prayer, and then we wonder why our fears are overwhelming us. In 2020, there's a Bible app that I um, look I get, uh, look at all the time, and I do my Bible readings off my Bible app, and they did a study, and the number one Bible verse from 2020, the number one Bible verse was this, so do not fear. Do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you, and I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. By far the most searched verse of 2020. We all understand 2020 was a rough year. By the way, I don't think things changed because the clock moved over a day. I, you know, I still think we're moving forward in the Lord. But listen, we as the church of Jesus Christ, we, fear will jump on us just as much as it'll jump on everybody else. And as a matter of fact, we have some pretty, all of us, ingrained fears that we need to overcome. Fears of intimacy, fears of the future, fears of death, fears of uh, relationships, fears of failure. And I want to talk about those in the days ahead, but I want to provide this foundation for you. Unless we become a people of prayer individually and corporately, I don't believe we will truly overcome our fears. There is a place for prayer and being diligent in prayer that will enable us to connect with God and overcome fear. You might want to say amen, amen. just to get it in you. To say, I I've got some fears. And if we keep our eyes fixed on our fears rather than on him, we're going to become what, what we stare at, what we look at. And we need to really engage, engage in prayer. Also, we need to become a people of action. There's diligence, being aware, staying alert, and then there's responding. We need to wake up to the command for action. Again, back in Proverbs, talking about the sluggard. This is really graphic. The sluggard buries his hand in the dish, but he will not even bring it back to his mouth. <laughs> this one cracks me up. Here's the dish. Boom. Oh, that food. It's such hard work to get up here, to get up to my mouth. It's just the, it's the picture of a people in, in action who will reach out and put their hand in, but not even spend the energy to get it to their, to their mouth. James says faith without works is dead. Why, why does he say that? Because 
Faith without works is dead. You know, it's not, it's not alive. It's not in action. Faith is not a feeling. Faith is not an emotion. Faith is not an intellectual. Faith is something that permeates us and it causes us to be moving out and responding. We become a person of, we become a people of action. We need to wake up to the fact that faith is in us and now we respond by going forth. In the book of Jonah, the whole book of Jonah, you remember Jonah, some prophet, not a very good prophet in some ways. I mean, I don't want to judge Jonah. I probably would have done the same thing. God tells him to go speak to a people and he hates those people so much. He hates Nineveh. I hate them Ninevites. And he hates them so much, he tells God, no, I'm not going to go. Because if I go and I preach to them, then you might actually, and they repent, you might actually not destroy them. So I'd rather not go and preach to them. Now, I may be reading too much into Jonah, but this seems to be the case. I'd rather you kill them. That's a good prophet, isn't it? So he goes the other way. You know the story. He runs, jumps on a boat, tries to run away from God. God brings a storm. It says in Jonah 1, 4 through 6, all the sailors were afraid and each cried out to his own God and they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship as they're running away. But Jonah, where's Jonah? He'd gone below deck where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. The captain went to him and said, how can you sleep? Get up, I'm calling your God. Maybe he'll take notice of us and we will not perish. We're in the middle of a storm. We are in the middle of a mess. And we look around and we say, how could I, how could I possibly fall asleep? Just like Jonah, we could fall asleep. Listen, if the church doesn't wake up, and stay awake. What hope does our world have? What hope does our country have? What hope does our city have? What hope do we have? We can't just go through life saying, eh, I got mine. I'm just going to lay back, go to sleep. One of my favorite shows when, um, I, I'm sorry, you probably don't won't. Don't judge me. But I used to love Seinfeld. And there's this character on Seinfeld named Putty. Uh, he was kind of a rough guy. Some of you may be too young for Seinfeld. And he was dating this girl named Elaine. And Putty, Elaine comes to find out, is a born-again Christian. He's got a fish on the back of his car. And she says in this dialogue to him one day, you, you think I'm going to hell, don't you? And he says, well, yeah. And she goes, well, why haven't you ever told me about your, she didn't say your faith, but she's trying to say, why didn't you, are you not concerned that I'm going to hell? And he's like, I'm not the one going to hell. Now, it's funny in the moment, but the reality of it is that's really at times the way the church thinks. Well, I'm not the one going to hell. They're going to hell. 
Listen, our call is to wake up to action. What Again, whatever purpose do we have other than to proclaim the gospel of Jesus? To, to save one more in the name of Christ. You know, our hope is in him. We, we celebrate the death of a saint because we know that saint is with him. But what if that death is of a person who doesn't know him? To me, that should break every single one of our hearts. We can no longer sleep in the hold of a ship while the world burns around us. We need to wake up to the command for action. We need to also wake up to the crisis of deception. Again, back in Proverbs 26, the sluggard says, there's a lion outside, or I'll be murdered in the streets. Verse 16, the sluggard is wiser in his own eyes than seven men who answer discreetly. Now you're saying, well, what does this have to do with deception? Well, here, here's what it is. He is not wiser than the seven men. There is no lion in the streets. He will not be murdered. He's deceived. And because he's deceived, he's acting on those deceptions. Here's one of the things I say over and over and over again. You act upon what you believe to be true. Whether it's true or not is irrelevant. I mean, it's not irrelevant, but for you it's irrelevant because you're still going to act upon it. And we need to wake up to understand that, the, that there is a deceiving spirit all around us who's not only trying to deceive the world, but it's trying to deceive us. And we have the power of God, the wisdom of God, the spirit of God indwelling us in order that we can know what is true and not true. You know, we look up, oh yeah, we need to wake up for the crisis of deception. That world, it's deceived. These politicians, they're deceived. This person, they're deceived. Here's the terrible thing. You're deceived. And you don't even know it. No person who's deceived goes around and says, you know, I'm deceived. That's the terrible thing about deception. We all think we're not deceived. That's why we need the Spirit of God in us to show us where we're deceived, right? You with me? We need the truth of God, the light of God, the Spirit of God to show us. Some of you aren't too happy with the fact I'm saying you're deceived. I'm deceived too. I've got my stuff. We all do. The only way we're going to do it is, and there's a crisis. There's a, there's a crisis of deception in the world around us that we need to wake up to. And the only thing we have to battle deception with is a loving truth. Speak the gospel. Speak the truth in love. Not anger. Not judgment. Not, but love. Story I use about this all the time. And I remember Samson, strong guy, weak character, long hair. Falls in love with the wrong woman. That's a whole different sermon. Don't fall in love with the wrong woman or man. <clears throat> She's paid by the Philistines. Find out what his source of strength is. It's a wonderful relationship, Samson to Delilah. He lies to her over and over again. She tricks him. She does this stuff. Samson's not too bright. It doesn't get that he's telling her and she does it to him and he wakes up in the morning and he's bound with ropes or whatever. It's a weird scene. Anyway, 
He finally tells her what the source of his strength is his hair. She braids it. She cuts it. Every time he tells her whatever it was that's the source of his strength, she does it to him. And then somebody comes in, oh, the Philistines are upon us. He gets up, breaks stuff, goes out and kills the Philistine. Until she tells him about, he tells her about the hair. Here's one of the saddest verses in all the Bible to me. Having put him to sleep on her lap, she called a man to shave off the seven braids of his hair and so began to subdue him. And his strength left him. Then she called Samson like she'd been doing. Samson, the Philistines are upon you. He awoke from his sleep and thought, I'll go out as before and shake myself free. Here it is. But he did not know that the Lord had left him. He didn't know that the Lord had left him. That's what deception does to us. We think, I'm just going to go do this as I've always done it. But if we're not careful, we, we've lost the anointing or the power of God. And I, I don't think the Lord would leave us, so to speak. It's not like you're not getting saved or not going to heaven or that sort of thing. That's I, I, not what I'm trying. I'm just talking about the power of God to hear from him, to act according to him, to take the steps you need to take to move forward in, in his power and his might. Jesus in a parable says, The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while everyone was sleeping, what did the enemy do? He came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. The power of deception. Sowing seeds of deception among us. If we're not careful. Back to Romans. And do this, understanding the present time, the hours come for you to wake up from your slumber because your salvation is nearer than when you first believed. People, we're called to be diligent, aware, alert. We're called to act, to do what God has called us to do. We're, we're called to act in the truth and to understand that deception is all around. How are we going to do that? It's because light makes everything visible. This is why it says, wake up, O sleeper. Rise from the dead and Christ will shine on you. Be very careful then how you live. Not as unwise, but as wise. Making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Stand up with me. Lord, we thank you. And I pray that today, God, we will wake up. That, God, we will understand that we need to stay alert. That we need to act according to the gospel. That we need to be aware of the crisis of deception that is all around us. And instead, Lord, to walk in your truth. Lord, I pray that we will be a people who worship you. Because our eyes are fixed upon you. We're declaring you're worthy. And that we'll hear from you. And that we'll walk. Lord, we speak to our souls today. And say, bless the Lord, O my soul. And all that is within me, bless his holy name. May we wake up our souls and our bodies to act according to the spirit of God that indwells us. So Holy Spirit, move among us. Shine your light on us. Show us the areas of change that we need to make in our own hearts and in our own lives today.
before we leave, I just want you to worship just for a moment. To see your soul awakened. To hear from him. To find areas of your life that you need to change. As we enter this time of fasting and prayer, ask God right now what it is you need to give up for the next 21 days in order to reconnect with him. Actively engage with him and disconnect from the world. Just hear from him right now as we worship.